Hello, I'm Dee Brown, CEO, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. My guest today is a Grammy Award-winning producer, musician, and songwriter. Please help me welcome Black Elvis to Self Made. Elvis, I'm glad to have you on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Listen, Thanks for having me. You have had an amazing career. And so I want the viewers to be able to understand your journey because you come from very humble uh, beginnings. So if you would, talk to me about your childhood. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I actually grew up in a small town called Clarksdale, Mississippi. I was Absolutely. born there and raised there. Um, I'm sure you know where that is. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm from there as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, man, my, yeah, like, you know, growing up, grew up on Bolivar, a street called Bolivar, and, you know, some would call it the hood. Yeah. Um, and in Brickyard, we had, to, you know, my grandparents right. lived in Brickyard, so I spent a lot of time up there. Yeah. Um, but I pretty much grew up in church. Um, grew up in church because my mom, she's a missionary, and she had us in church all the time. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in church. I started playing the piano when I was like 12 years old. Started learning how to play the organ and the piano. And um, it just kind of, you know, went off from there. Um, I had a pretty regular, you know, childhood. Yeah. Um, I knew what I wanted to be when I was 12 years old. Really? Yeah. And so, so 12 is when you developed uh, your love for, for music. No, not really. So here's a, fun, here's a funny twist, right? Okay. So my mom is a nurse, so she takes me to this house. It's this huge, gigantic, studded house. Um, and I walk up to the house, and I say, Mom, whose house is this? She's like, this is Dr. Caesar's house. The house was ginormous, right? Yeah. And, you know, being from a small town, right. I've never seen a house like that. Right. So when I saw the house, I was like, I want a house like this when I grow up, yeah. right? Yeah. So I asked my mom, I said, Mom... What kind? She, I said, who house is this? She said, it's Dr. Caesar's house. And I said, what kind of doctor is he? She said, he's a gynecologist. So yep. from that early age of yeah. 12, yeah. my goal and my dream was to become a gynecologist. So Do Dr. Caesar delivered my oldest daughter. Wow. Yeah, so. <laughs> wow. Yes, yes. So he was my inspiration of wanting to be a gynecologist yeah. through my whole entire childhood. Like, really? I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about music. My goal was to be, become a gynecologist. So you like get a house a big like house. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. So, so when did you develop your passion for music? Well, I would say I had a passion for it. You know, I started playing when I was 12, so around maybe 14 to 15 years old, uh -huh. my granddaddy, Big Jack Johnson, yeah. he's a blues player. Right, right. So I was always around music, and um, he always wanted to take me to the juke joint, and you know, because he wanted me to play for him, but my mom always told me no. Yeah. So anytime I spent the night at my grandparents' house and he had a gig, I would sneak and go. He was like, come on, snowman. They call me snowman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And um, I would go, and sometimes he, was, he would let me sit in and play. So I just started, you know, getting into the groove of being out on the road, you know, playing in bars and different things like that. And, of course, along with church, you know, traveling and playing for community choirs and all that stuff. Yeah. It, it was a gift. It was something instilled in me. Um, and it just kind of, you know, spiraled out of control. Like I said, I, I think once I turned 16 and was making a little bit of money yeah. playing at churches, I started taking it serious. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, kids, 16, 17 years old, you know, I'm clocking probably about $1,500 a, uh, a week. Playing, playing like three, yeah, playing with three or four churches, and uh, I was like, "Oh, this is this is lucrative, right yeah, here, right, you know, right. <laughs> at this age." Uh, so, you know, I started kind of taking it a little bit more serious, but I, my goal still was to become a gynecologist. Yeah. So when I 
I graduated high school at 17 years old, and I graduated from Eisenhower High out in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, my uncle was military, so I went to Fort, went out there to Fort Sill, and you know, uh, went to Eisenhower High. So I was able to get out of high school at 11th grade, and when they told me that I would have enough credits, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm done. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, let's go." So I left Oklahoma, came back, went to the University of Memphis. You know, with my goal is still to become a gynecologist. So right. my major was biology. My minor was music theory. Um, I get to the University of Memphis and I take my first physics class and the professor puts up a equation on the board and I was like, oh, I can't do this. I can never walk <laughs> out, right? <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh my God, like this is, I mean, this is crazy. But I endured it um, um, and I started playing for the gospel choir. And I think yeah. then I developed the bug to start producing music at yes. that age. Really? You know? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, musicians, um, a lot of guys, you know, in the studio doing yeah. different things like that. Yeah. And I wanted to be, you know, be a part of that, that whole movement. And um, I started developing a love for, you know, just create beats and, you right. know, create little tracks. And then we didn't have the technology like we have now. Right. So I had a little studio in my house in the bedroom. Yeah. Like most of us, how right. we start out, um, right. we began this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had all everybody coming up to the house, you know, rap hustlers, uh, Kusta, uh, Three Six Ma Mafia, yeah. you know, those guys. Um, so, you know, I just started doing my thing. I did a whole album on the barcades, um, you know, so. I looked at it as Memphis was one of those places where, you know, for the type of music that I wanted to do, yeah. it wasn't a lucrative place. You know, uh, it was all about blues and soul music. Yeah. Had some rap stuff, but it wasn't, you know, if you weren't messing with Three Six Mafia, then you wasn't really, you know, right, moving. Right. Um, so I wind up going to Atlanta one weekend and I had a homeboy that um, he called me. He said, Elvis. Leslie Brathworth is mixing my album. So I was like, all right, cool. I didn't know who Leslie was, right? Yeah. So I drive to Atlanta, and they're at a studio called Patchwork. And um, I go in the studio, and Leslie says, hey, what do you do? I said, well, I produce, I play. Yeah. He said, can you play, play? I said, yeah, I can play, play, right? So he asked me, he said, can you be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock? I said, yeah. I ain't no questions or nothing, right? Yeah. I walk in the studio the next day at 4 o'clock, Manny Fresh and Juvenile is sitting in the room. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. So right then and there, I said, I got to move. I had to move to Atlanta. Right, right. So I get back to Memphis, pack up the whole studio, <laughs> and move to Atlanta on Faith. And oh, wow. That was, I, I didn't look back. Man, so, so what was the first, I guess, big break that you got that really put your uh, career on track? Whew, man, I had success. It was like success overnight for me, yeah. but it wasn't, right? So um, I probably worked for about three years, starting in 02, uh -huh. 03. Um, probably worked for about three years, nothing, you know, yeah. um, just trying to figure it out, you know, right. going from studio to studio, traveling, doing things. And I was working with some pretty big artists, but the music hadn't came out yet, right? So I'm just working and right, working and working. Right. And in 2006, Glamorous came out by Fergie. Yeah. And that record went number one in the world. Right. I never forget, I was in Memphis. I was at one of my friend's house and I was in the attic in his studio. And at that time, my publisher had called me, Big uh, John, and he said, Elvis, in the morning, you got the number one record in the world. I said, oh, okay, cool. 
I didn't know what it meant, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks for the call. Like, <laughs> like you know, in, in the next day, you know, stuff just started going pandemonium. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, because that's one thing to just have a number one record on R and B, whatever. But a number one record in the, in the world, world, right? That's life changing, right? You know, so around two thousand five, two thousand six, Glamorous came out uh, by Fergie. Promise came out by Sierra. Kelly Rowland like this. So I probably had about seven number one records just uh, overnight, know, overnight across the board. Wow! And it was it was pandemonium for me. You Talk know? to me about the Grammy. I mean, that's I guess the highest honor you can. Yeah, really and it, I mean. Man, we're 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 so looking at the Grammys a little different now, but yeah, I got uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was that was a huge honor. Um, you know, um, winning that, you know, Sasha Fierce album. Um, I did Ego for Beyonce. Yeah. Um, and then Usher, uh, I did Lil Freak featuring Nicki Minaj. Um, that album won Best R&B Contemporary Album of the Year as well. So that that was some pretty pretty big moments, you know, for me. It, it solidified. What it gave me was the solidification that the world right recognized yeah. my music and they loved it right and you know i was able to affect people's lives right you know and that's the feeling and of course i was able to charge a little bit more money now right but, right you know <laughs> that, that that never hurt that, that never hurt yeah yeah you know you can't go wrong with having some grammy so yeah, yeah. What, so what do you contribute your success to though oh man um i would really i did a lot of praying yeah. <laughs> did a lot of praying and you know um I did a lot of soul searching and just un understanding who I was, yeah. um, you know, and, and becoming disciplined and, um, you know, working hard and just understanding that opportunity is finite. Right. right, right. And, and I tell people all the time, they ask me, I said, well, somebody gave me an opportunity, but I took it. I didn't I didn't I didn't swander it. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, so right. every opportunity that I saw and I took, I also was prepared to deliver. Right. You right. get what I'm saying? You have to be prepared. Yeah. Right, right. So preparation yeah. is key for me. So anytime I walked in a room or anytime somebody called me to do a record, I always delivered. Yeah. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many times that I've been in a room and, and they don't call me for album fillers. I'm, right. I'm expensive, right? So right. when you need that single, right, you right. need something to come out in the next two weeks. That's when I'm getting the phone right. call, right? right? So me being able to deliver uh, on those phone calls and walking in a room with those artists, you know, and having to deliver at spur of the moment. Right. I think that is the biggest part of my success, you know, story, uh, being able to deliver. Yeah. At yeah. the drop of a dime. Speaking of deliver, being able to deliver, man, you did the, the intro music for this show, Self Made, as well as for HBCU, man. I'm forever grateful for that. Man, and, listen. Uh, I mean, you just no questions asked. Uh, you delivered for me, and, I, and I'm, I'm very appreciative. I, I want to talk about uh, just over the years uh, achieving the level of success you did, like you said, virtually overnight. Mm -hmm. Who were the individuals in your life that were instrumental in helping you to get where you are? Um, man, so many people. Um, like I named Leslie. Yeah. Uh, Bradford, he's he's a big engineer. He probably don't even know this story. I haven't even talked to him about this, right? Yeah. Um, of course, Polo to Dunn um, can ever you know diminish the 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 you know the presence he he'd had in my life. Um, and you know, just over the years, man, like just people that I've been able to come into contact with um, that has kind of just gave me opportunities. Yeah. Um, you know, the music business is a dog eat dog right, world. Right. You know, so it's, it's almost like you have to be aggressive 
in that atmosphere and you have to be on all the time. Otherwise, people will look at you and be like, oh, you're not ready for success right. or, or you don't belong here. Yeah. You, you, you get what I'm I saying? I understand completely. Uh, so when you find one or two people that give you a shot, you got to take it. Right. And, and it just blossoms, just blossoms from there. Right. You know, um, I, I mean, a lot, I would say a lot of people helped me along the way. But those those few people that I just named uh-huh. was, was like life changing for me. Right. Those things was life. changing. So you've been from Clarksdale, Mississippi. There's another great um, n- number of guys from uh, Clarksdale, like uh, Rick Ross, mm-hmm. Nate Dog. Yeah. Uh, do you have you collaborated with those individuals? Yeah, I did a record uh, for Rick. Um, this was back on his Trilla album. Yeah. Uh, me and Trey Songs. It was a record called This Is The Life. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did that record. Then I also had Rick come to Clarksdale when I did, I think, maybe my second or turkey get, yeah. turkey giveaway. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. I had him come down. down. So, yeah, man, Rick, we, we collaborated on a couple of things. Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, you also have projects outside of the music industry. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some of the things you're working on and what inspired you. Well, I, man... I think I found my my purpose now. So um, back during the pandemic, I saw everything that was going on, you know, with Amar Aubrey and George Floyd. Um, and I just, you know, I was angry at first, but then I channeled my anger to what can I really, really do? Right. right? How can I really, really make a real difference? And I got with my tech team and I said, hey, guys. All this stuff is going on in the world and people got their cameras out, but nobody is intervening. Like we'll become we'll become what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I guess numb to watching people die. Right. Right. How how can we sit and do that and and not intervene or not say anything? Um, So I got with my team and I created an organization called Hero and Hero is an organization where. We train people on how to interact with law enforcement. We mm-hmm. teach them de-escalation. Uh, we teach them first aid, and we teach them uh, mental crisis intervention. And it started out like that, but then I was in Miami last year, mm-hmm. and I was at the W Hotel, um, and I went to Miami for a business meeting. And this was a specific day date. They were having a, a festival called Rolling Loud, and um, so there's a lot of celebrities in town. Yeah. And I'm at the W Hotel. I check in at about 1030 that night, go to my room. I'm not going out. I'm not, you know, moving around. So I don't have any security with me. And about six o'clock in the morning, somebody's knocking at my door. Somebody's trying to get in, yeah. you know, like with a key. So I wake up and I go to the door. And before I can even get to the door, they're knocking. Bah, 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 bah. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, who? Like, who are you looking for? Who is it? You know, yeah. it's like, uh, uh, what do you, you know, who are you looking for? <laughs> what do you want? The guy says, I'm looking for a feature, right? So in my profession, when you say you're looking for a feature, yeah. that's a musical term where right. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's just like in the morning. Right. I don't have anything. <laughs> Why are you talking about music? So, you know, right. about to me, it's six o'clock in the morning. So I go to the door and I look at the peephole and I see him holding a gun. And when I see he's holding a gun, I immediately call hotel security because that's the first line of defense. Right. And secondly, knowing that they probably ain't got guns, I call 911. Right. 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 <laughs> so I dial 911 and the phone, uh, she, she answered the phone and the phone call is so egregious. Right. Because 
she's trying to get information from me and I'm trying to relay the information to her as quickly and accurate as possible, but still dealing with the threat. Right. 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 That may be coming through my door. Right. And so she winds up hanging up the phone on me and I wind up just being there, not knowing if police was going to ever show up um, with the guy still at my door. So I had to make a real phone call. Right. Right. Um, so finally, hotel security comes and gets gets the guy away from the door, you know, eventually with, you know, but even before then, he's still beating. He's still trying to knock the hinges off the door. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, you know, in fear of my life. Uh, so at that point, I get back and of course, I'm upset and I'm calling my lawyers and I'm you know, about to sue everybody. Right. Blah, 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 right. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Let me turn this negative into a positive. Um, and we was already working on the hero app. And I said, we need to take this a step further. So we started developing uh, technology for the 911 dispatch centers. So when you call 911 from our Hero Alert app, they can see exactly what's going on in real time. Yeah. They have your location. They have you know your phone number. All of the questions that they ask. Right. Right. Why you're in danger. Right. It <laughs> provides the, it. Yeah. It provides it. Right. So it cuts out that time um, between you know, the, the caller and 911 dispatcher. And not only that, their pain point is how can we get that information over to first responders right. quicker, right? It also deals with that issue as well. So by them getting that information more quicker and more accurately, they can relay that to first responders in the same manner. Right, right. right. Um, and that's what we've been doing. That's, that's what um, I've been working on probably for like the last you know, six months now, okay. you know, um, we had to take about a year, but we've really been, you know, devving this 911 dispatch uh, technology out. And I think in June we're going to roll out our first pilot. OK, so we can test and, you know, stress the system and do updates and all that stuff like that. Right. Um, so I'm excited. No, um, that's a, that's uh, sound like a very uh, useful uh, app. That that'll be needed actually. Yes. So you, this will be available in the app stores, all yep. your, your Google yep. Every, uh, everywhere. Store, right? It'll be available everywhere. Um, I always tell people, you know, I think about it like this: We have Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, we have McDonald's, Burger King. Right. We got one public safety system in this entire country. It's nine one one. Right. If a dog is stuck in a tree, they call it nine one one. You know, right. if a homeless man is doing something irate, they're calling nine one one. Um, so we put so much stress on our, you know, 911 system. It's like they're not going to respond to everything. Right. Um, right. so I wanted to kind of give them something useful to where like, okay, you know what? This can help save people lives and also give people an alternate resource. Instead of calling 911, then we, we, we have a, we, we have a button on the app to where you can call a mental crisis yeah. center. Right. That's in your area to help de-escalate situations where maybe your loved one or somebody, you know, or you can recognize somebody is having a, a crisis you know, situation. Right. Don't call the police. Right? Right, right. Because when those people are having those issues, when the police show up, it escalates the situation. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, when, you know, person see a uniform or authority figure, right. it's going to escalate. Right. You know, so we're trying to make sure we it's always de-escalation yeah. in every scenario. So uh, you've had a uh, an amazing career, and I know you have a lot uh, of runway in front of you as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what accomplishments are you most proud of? 
Oh, man. Um, you know what I always tell people? I say, you, you're only as great as your last hit. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I've had so many, you know, big records. Um, just my music being able to touch so many people. Right. Um, I think it's good. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's my gift to the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now I'm focusing on what else do I have to offer? Right. You know, uh, right. becoming clear, you know, understanding my purpose. Right. Um, Hero is now ha has now become my, you know, real right. focus. Right. Um, and I'm still doing music and, you know, I'm doing stuff in the metaverse and NFTs and all of that good stuff. But Hero to me is my purpose in life. Right. You know, at least one of them. Yeah. What do you contribute your success to? Oh, man, just hard work. Like, you know, I had a, I had a really, really great foundation growing up. My mom, my dad, you know, they were, you know, grew up middle class. Um, so I had a really, really great foundation, you know, growing up. Like I said, my mom kept us in church. So I just always stay grounded. Right. Um, you know, having kids would keep somebody like me grounded. Right. right. You know, um, right. becoming successful with kids keeps you grounded because if I didn't, I think if I didn't have kids, then. I probably would be doing right, a whole right, bunch of more stuff, right? right. But now right. I, I think before I, you know, do things and I was like, wait, you know what? I got it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, don't, don't go buy that Ferrari. You know right, what I'm saying? Just, right. you know, just go get the Porsche or something. But you know, right, something right. like that. You, you, you know what I mean? Right. Just being able to kind of make better decisions for myself and for my family, um, they've really kept me grounded. And I think that has really kept me you know, in a successful mode to where I can keep reinventing myself. Right. You know, um, time after time, uh, not spiraling out of control. Yeah. <laughs> all right, look, that's important. Yeah. And we all we all need something uh, that's bigger than ourselves. Yep. That we have to uh, get up every day and, 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 and make it happen for. Yeah. You know, because and I, I'm going to steal this a little quiet. I actually heard Deion Sanders say this, but uh, it actually summed up you know how I felt about it. It's like um, you'll give up on yourself mm. sometimes, but when you have someone else, whether it's your kids, your, your mom, your yep. your family, but you, when you have someone else that you're making it happen for, you don't you you won't give up on them. So I think right. that's 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 a very important thing to uh, to know. Uh, if you had to give advice to a young person aspiring to be an entrepreneur, aspiring to be in the uh, music business, mm -hmm. what would you tell them? Work hard. And, you know, don't swander any opportunity. Every opportunity you get, take it. Yeah. You know, um, and, and run with it. Right. You know, um, and always be prepared. Yeah. Be prepared to deliver. I can't stress that enough. Like that. Have to that be gets you in, in the room. That's right. That keeps you in the room. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I my philosophy is that I never want to look back and say that I squandered an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So whenever I do something, people, people know who know me know I always talk about being at 150% at yep. all times because I feel like the benchmark that everybody should live by is 100%, yep. right? I mean, 100% means that you just did everything you're supposed to do, yep. right? So that's what everybody who really want to be successful should yep. be doing 100%. You're right. So how do you go above and beyond? Like, how do you give that, you know, they say, OK, D, you should only do, you know, five episodes a day. OK, I'm right. going to do nine. There you go. You know, yeah. Because I don't want to be ever labeled as, as uh, mediocre. Yep. So um, I agree that that's some 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 good advice. But you said something else, too, that I want to uh, you talked about when you 
were in Memphis mm -hmm. and you saw that you really couldn't be who you want to be in Memphis and you went to Atlanta and you saw that um, there was opportunity there and you immediately said, you know what? Yeah, I got to move. And so, so many people who have talents and skills, they're in environments mm -hmm. where they can't really uh, excel. Right. But they won't move. They won't leave that environment. You know, uh, they got all the potential, all the talent in the world, mm -hmm. but they are afraid to take their show on the road to achieve the success that they, they really want. It's fear. Yeah, it's fear. fear. Fear, yeah. I mean, for me, I live, I don't even live my life. I don't even know what the word fear means. Right. You know, <laughs> like, like literally, like, you know, I bet on myself every time. Right. Whether I lose or win. Right. Um, you know, and, and I've lost a lot of times, but I've won, you know, a lot of times. My wins make up for, for, for the losses. For the losses. That's, that's the name of the game. That's the name of the game. Yeah. And, and you have to know that and you have to understand that that's how the world operates. That's life. Right. You know, I have this analogy that I use. I said success is like making a pot of gumbo mm. and failure is just one of the ingredients that you put in to create that success. That's good. And if you are not willing to fail, I don't see how you can ever succeed because success is not without risk. It requires a significant level of uh, faith and yep. trust. Hard work, dedication, and commitment to, to make it happen. Yeah. So uh, just in closing, um, what do you think uh, the importance of family is to your success? I mean, everything. Family is everything. Um, like I said, you know, my family has kept me grounded. Um, it keeps me going. And you're right. Like when, when I want to just not do anything, you know, it's bigger than me. Right. And that's you know? and I think that's a good uh, note to close the show out on because family is, is very, very important to very important success and life and happiness. And I thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D Brown CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.